Get your own Dharma T-shirts from the official Lost Store by ABC. You can pick up a Dharma Kitchen shirt like our listener Jeff, or pick up a whole set of shirts like Jim in Southern California. We've posted their photos on our site, and we'll post yours too if you get an official Lost shirt. Just click the banner at the top of our website at hawaiiapp.com slash lost. The Transmission, episode 60, April 18th, 2009. I need you to take me to Rosinski at the worksite, immediately. You, Hurley, you say a word. Pull poop, got it. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into The Transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. My name is Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here to talk about the latest episode of Lost, Some Like It, Hoth. And here's how we're going to do it. We'll recap the episode in eight minutes or less. Then we'll break down the episode in greater detail. We'll hear from you all, everybody, in our feedback segment. And then we'll skip quickly through a tiny little forward cabin. So, you ready? Let's get lost. Episode 13 of Season 5 is called Some Like It Hoth, and it's got a regular flashback setup, so let's start with the flashback. The former Mrs. Pierre Chang is checking out an apartment for her and her son, young Miles. Mm -hmm. Miles hears whispers from a nearby apartment and finds a man on the floor inside. Miles says he heard him call out for his wife, but his mother says he's dead. Next, older punk Miles returns to visit his sick mother and asks her to tell him how he does the things he does and about his father. She says that his father kicked them out and never cared about them and he's been dead for a long time. Miles asks where his body is and she says, somewhere you can never go. Ghost-busting Miles goes to see a man, Mr. Gray, about his son who died in a car crash. Mr. Gray says his son's body was cremated, and Miles says it works better with a body. Miles makes the man pay extra and asks what he wants to know. Mr. Gray says he wants to know if his son knew that he loved him. Miles grabs his hands and tells Mr. Gray to concentrate on his son, and after a few moments, Miles tells Mr. Gray that his son always knew he loved him. As Miles is leaving, Naomi walks up and says her employer wants his services. She takes him to a body to test him out. Miles says the body's name is Felix and he was delivering a file to a man named Widmore. The file explains the faked plane wreckage at the bottom of the Indian Ocean. Naomi is impressed and tells Miles that she's leading an expedition to an island to find a man. An island with a number of deceased individuals who may have information on where to find him. Miles says no, but when she offers him $1.6 million he asks when do we leave miles is grabbed on the street and thrown into a van bram who we recognize as one of ilana's henchmen on the island tells him not to work for charles widmore he says miles doesn't know what lies in the shadow of the statue so he's not ready to go to the island bram says if miles goes with them he'll know everything who he is why he has a gift and what happened to his father miles says that he stopped caring about his father but he cares about money and he asks for double of what widmore was going to pay him or 3.2 million dollars Bram tells Miles they won't pay him, but that all that money in the world isn't going to fill the empty hole inside him. Bram says, 
you're playing for the wrong team. Miles asks what side that would be, and Bram says, we're the team that's going to win. Miles goes back to Mr. Gray and returns his money. He says that he lied and he couldn't talk to his son. Mr. Gray asks why Miles is telling him he lied. Why couldn't you let me believe what you said? And Miles says it wouldn't be fair to your son. If you needed him to know you loved him, you should have told him when he was still alive. Back on the island, Sawyer and Kate go back to the security fence, and Sawyer calls Miles to tell him to erase the security tapes. But before Miles can do it, Horace comes in. Since Sawyer's not there, Horace says he has to bring Miles into the circle of trust. Horace tells Miles to take a package out to Radzinski in Sector 334, and Radzinski will have something to bring back, no questions asked. Miles notes that Sector 334 is hostile territory. He goes out to Radzinski, who takes the package, and the package is a body bag. Two men bring out a body. Miles asks what happened, and Radzinski says he fell into a ditch. Mm. Miles notes the man's wound and asks if the ditch had a gun. Radzinski tells him to just take the body. After the men leave, Miles opens the body bag and asks, what really happened? Horace tells Miles to take the body to Dr. Chang at the Orchid, but Hurley is already loading the van with food for the Orchid crew. He says they should carpool. As they drive, Hurley asks how to spell Bounty Hunter, and he also notices a bad smell. Hurley goes back to check his food and finds the body. Miles says the body's name is Alvarez and that his tooth filling was yanked out and pulled through his brain. Hurley asks how he knows that and suspects that Miles can talk to dead people. Hurley says that he can talk to dead people too. Meanwhile, Kate goes back to Juliet and says they gave Ben to the others. Roger arrives and is shocked to find Ben missing. Juliet says that she doesn't know where he is and Roger says he's going to security. Juliet says, well, here we go. Kate goes to Roger and says she's sure that things are going to work out. Roger asks what she means. She tells him not to give up hope. Roger suspects she knows something and tells her to mind her own business. Later, Roger asks Jack if he knows Kate because she's got a weird thing for my kid. Uh, He says that Kate may have something to do with what happened. Jack says, you're just drunk and having crazy ideas. Jack says, Kate is my friend and she'd never do anything to hurt Ben. Sawyer gets home and Jack is waiting for him. Jack tells Sawyer and Juliet that Roger suspects Kate. Sawyer thanks him for the intel and Jack leaves. But Phil arrives and tells Sawyer he knows that he took Ben. Sawyer brings him inside, then punches him out. Back in the van, Hurley tells Miles that he talks to dead people all the time and even plays chess with them. Miles says that's not how it works. He says there's no talking, just what they knew before they died. Hurley says Miles is just jealous because his power is better. They get to the orchid and Dr. Chang is upset that Hurley is there. Hurley says he won't tell anyone about the body. Dr. Chang says he better keep it a secret or he'll get shipped off to Hydra Island. Hurley says that guy is a douche, but Miles says that douche is my dad. Hurley says it's weird that Miles' dad is the guy from all those orientation movies, except he used the name Arvin Candle. He asks Miles how long he's known. Miles says that on the third day they were on the island, his mother got in line behind him. Hurley reminds Miles that everyone in Dharma will be killed and asks why Miles isn't trying to save them. Miles says that they can't, so why bother? Miles and Hurley drop Dr. Chang off at the Swan Construction Site. They look out the window and one man asks another what serial number to put on the hatch lid. Well, they're the numbers, of course, and Miles asks how Hurley knows them. Hurley says, they're building our hatch. 
the one that crashed our plane. There's going to be an accident and they have to build a computer with a button to push so the world doesn't end. Later, Hurley tells Miles that since he didn't really know his dad before, he can hang out with him now. But Miles says he doesn't want to know him better and tells Hurley to stay out of his business. Of course, then he gets into Hurley's business and grabs his notebook and starts to read it. It's a description of The Empire Strikes Back. Hurley says since Star Wars just came out, he can send George Lucas the sequel with some improvements. Miles says it's a stupid idea, but Hurley says at least I'm not too scared to talk to my own dad. Hurley says that he hated his dad, who left when he was 10, but that the best thing he ever did was give him a second chance. Miles says he just doesn't want to know. Hurley says that was Luke Skywalker's attitude when he found out that his dad was Darth Vader. Hurley says that Luke and Vader worked it out eventually, but at great cost. It all could have been avoided if they just communicated, he says. (laughs) So Miles walks toward Dr. Chang's house and sees him through the window reading a book to... Baby Miles. Right. Dr. Chang looks genuinely happy, though, and Miles starts to tear up. But Dr. Chang gets a phone call and comes out and tells Miles he needs his help. The sub has arrived with scientists from Ann Arbor. Miles goes down to the sub and helps a man onto the dock, but it's Daniel Faraday. Daniel! He he says, hi, Miles. Long time. No see. And And thud. thud. And that's Some Like It Hoth in under eight minutes. We'll take a quick break. and we come back, we'll break it down in greater detail. All right, Jen. So last week, we, uh, or at least you in particular, didn't like Dead is Dead, and we had wonderful feedback from our listeners saying, we hear what you're saying, but you're completely (laughs) wrong. So now, how did you like Some Like It Hot? It was so goofy and cute and and funny. Do you remember um, Trisha Tanaka is Dead? Mm -hmm. I had the same feeling watching this as I did that one. Is that a good feeling? Yes. Okay, so you liked this episode? I, I liked it a lot. All right. So, I mean, I agree that it had a lot of things in there just for the fans, a lot of winks and nods and, you know, great one-liners, of course, because Hurley is in it and, and factors heavily in it. Yeah, I liked it because it was a, a very traditional flashback setup, which, yeah. you know, again, brings us back to season one. And, you know, it had a just sort of a checklist of answers that it just sort of went down in a very efficient way, but not, you know, in a frustrating way like last week where it seemed like boring bullet points. But for whatever reason, it's, they seemed to hit it just with the right color, the right tone. And, uh, of course, just that buddy-buddy relationship between Hurley and Miles was fantastic. I thought Ken Leung was really great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this was his story, his flashback. A lot of us were wondering when we were going to get to him. I mean, because of the writer's strike during season mm-hmm. four, we lost a lot of the opportunity to get to know the freighter folk. But uh, I would say that his story was worth the wait. I thought that he did it very well. In fact, uh, he looked great as a t- young punk, as a teenager. Well, you know, some of the characters make better, younger versions of themselves than right. others. And this is one of the better ones because I actually thought for a little while that that was a younger guy. Right, that it was someone else playing him, but it was him. I he, he pulled it off very, very well. And, of course, we learned that his character has a lot of daddy issues, which is, I think, basically the the primary uh, prerequisite for ending up on the island in yeah. this show. But I think he handled it well. He depicted it and made it believable. I mean, his backstory was clearly compressed very tightly since we had to see him from a little kid to where he is. Yeah. But I believe that he had daddy issues. And so when you see him in that scene where he sees his father through the window playing with young himself and uh-huh. seems happy and he gets sort of red-eyed and specifically specifically the exact moment when you know dr chang comes out and says miles i need you and you know miles has to turn around and he goes you do like his <laughs> his his voice catches my voice caught too it was just really good it got a little dusty in the house yeah i thought he did a great job 
Well, this was the first episode I ever remember in which there was a fart joke. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it was there was a lot of comedy and again, a lot of it due to Jorge Garcia and Hurley's uh-huh. character. Um, a lot of little things that he got to throw in all kinds of pop culture references like, hey, we can stop global warming, but that hasn't happened yet. So maybe we can prevent it. Or, you know, of course, the conversation about polar bear poop. Uh-huh. <laughs> just couldn't get away from enjoying that one. And the whole Empire Strikes Back. Absolutely. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I knew that it would probably come up a little bit, I mean, given the title of the episode. Right. But, I mean, to have him write the screenplay to Empire Strikes Absolutely. Back, I thought Absolutely. was kind of genius. Well, the best part of it is the next day, people kept changing the screenwriter credit on Wikipedia. <laughs> I <first> noticed that. <laughs> to, to Jorge Garcia. I mean, to Hurley, Her, Hugo Reyes. But in any case, yeah, I mean, uh, they wrote it into the story. So it was a total geek fest, except that I thought it was fascinating that when, um, you know, Bram is trying to tell Miles, hey, you know, we can tell you what's going on, give you the answers, explain your father. And he says, I'm not interested. You know, they don't get past his armor. But when Miles put, when Hurley puts it into the Darth Vader story for Myers Strikes Back. That seems to really hit home for Miles. So yeah, he I must just, have been a Star Wars. Geek. I guess so. So I thought that was I thought that was great and funny. And I I liked that it it could have been gimmicky, but it wasn't. Like just a little indulgent, a little too meta. Uh huh. Well, but I thought I thought you know the the balance of the comedy with all the stuff that we found out made it really satisfying. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I can see how some people might have thought it was just a little too winky, but um, for the most part, it really it was a winner for me. And specifically, you mentioned, you know, they do give you answers. They, they did kind of go down a lot of little things. You know, yes, Miles is Dr. Chang's son. I mean, a lot of people suspected that. I would have to admit, I was skeptical when those theories first started going around. But there you go. It's confirmed. And of course, why way back in season three did he ask for, was it season three, when he asked for $3.2 oh, yeah. million? Uh-huh. This is why. He's still trying to double his investment from Widmore Industries. <laughs> I thought it was like a code. Remember we were saying that we thought it was some kind of uh-huh. secret code? Yeah. if you if, And it was really just Miles being greedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's not 3.2 means there's a person in my closet holding with a gun to my daughter's head. No, it's not. A, it's just a regular old number. And of course, uh, it proves that I guess you can at least make eye contact or see yourself in line of vision without the universe imploding. I think that's an important development. Well, yeah, so far. I mean, so far that seems to be the case. Right. I mean, we were saying earlier when Locke stayed away from seeing himself at the hatch door that coming in, you know, within proximity of himself would be an issue. But uh, at I least that's not. I still think that's going to be part of the incident. Uh, I think a lot of our fans do, too. We're going to get to that into you all, everybody. I think, though, there are still some questions that come up in this episode. For example, you know, uh, there was the specific shout out uh, to the Widmore and the fake wreckage at the bottom of the ocean as the test. Right. Right that uh, that uh, Miles had to do. But what does that prove? Does it prove then that uh, Ben was behind the wreckage and not Widmore because Widmore was looking into it? No, I yeah, I think it was Ben. And it seemed to me that the package was evidence being delivered to Widmore. Right, right. Again, we have a lot of stuff in the uh, You All Everybody kind of breaking it down. I first, when I saw that, I you know, the light off went off in my head and I said, okay, that explains it. It wasn't Widmore who did it. It was Ben. This is the confirmation that we've been waiting for. But it's not quite so clear. Um, also, as far as mysteries go, okay, so we know that Bram is working against Widmore. You know, don't go 
uh, with on the boat. And we know that Bram is working with Ilana because we saw him as a henchman last week. But uh, we still don't know who they are working for. You know, who is what what mission or what right. interest do they represent? What do you think? Well, I mentioned last week that I'm pretty sure it's Dharma. Yeah, the reconstituted Dharma initiative. I, I think that's becoming one of the more likely theories, or at least the one that I can parse out and sort of follow in my head. The only reason why I'm hesitant about that is because a lot of it is drawn from what we saw in San Diego. Right, the, the, the video, video and the... Which, it, you know, presumably that was a tease for season five. Well, we're running out of space for season five, so if that is going to play a part in the show, then this is where it's going to start coming right. in. But on the other hand, there's a lot of stuff that was outside of the show, the alternative reality games that uh, we have not seen, Valenzetti Equation, the the the, the Hanso Foundation also. Right. So um, is it late in the show, let alone the season, to introduce another third party, you know, someone else that's not Ben or Widmore? I'm not sure. But again, the Reconstituted Dharma Initiative uh, seems to be the most likely. And again, a lot of folks have thoughts on that in You All, Everybody. So how do you think Miles and his mom end up off the island? Is, do they get kicked off? Do they, is there a big accident and they run away in fear? What well, do you think I mean, happened? we're building up to something really big. We're building up to what I believe, of course, and what most folks believe is the incident, which predates mm-hmm. the purge. Um, and I, you know, the question is what causes that? And now we've seen Miles, you know, Miles says, I don't care about my dad. I don't know anything about my dad. I don't want to have anything to do with my dad. But then he has that beautiful moment when he sees himself and, and, and Marvin Candle. And why I think that that scene was important is that throughout the series, every time we've seen Dr. Chang or Marvin Candle in the regular flesh, he's been kind of, he is a jerk. He is kind of a douche. I he's mean, not nice at all. He's the crankiest bastard on the island. And so <laughs> they really p- pounded that home. And suddenly we see this quick shot of him genuinely happy. I mean, beaming brightly, so affectionate and loving toward his son, right? So I think Miles has this epiphany, realizes that he does care about his dad, he does want to get to know his dad, or at least that he wants to save his dad. As you recall, all of season five, Miles has been totally in the Faraday camp. He's been like, we can't change anything, we can't save them, Ben can't die, everything is inevitable. But I think it is this moment that changes Miles' mind, and he starts to put into motion some way to try and save his family, save his his dad and himself and his mom but I think because whatever happened happened it's not going to go well that at the very last minute something catastrophic happens something I don't know removes Marvin Candle's arm and he (laughs) does not get off the island and still things turn out the way that they always have so is he the first character to resolve his daddy issues uh because he saw his dad and decided that he likes him after all? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, do you believe Hurley satisfied his daddy issues because his dad came back and they became best friends? Oh, they I like suppose. Each other? And uh, Locke, in a way, resolved his daddy issues by getting someone else to kill him. So that's another <laughs> way. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it is possible to resolve a major issue in your life without not, without dying. We yeah, certainly hope so. Maybe. <laughs> all right. So what else? Well, I think we have, uh, well, Kate's back to form. Yeah, there were so many things she could have said to Roger, and he caught her in it, and she didn't have anything to say. I mean, there were so many things she could have said. But you know what? I'm going to really turn that around. I am extremely frustrated with Kate because, again, that's sort of a boneheaded thing to do, to be so invested in a stranger's son Uh that he's going to suspect something. But that really is, I think, the fault of the writers. Once again, they need somebody to kind of go over and tip things off balance and start right. the first domino where begin, where things fall apart and their whole ruse in Othersville falls apart. 
So, of course, it's going to be Kate's fault. So, yes, Kate is being a moron or Kate is being careless, but it's just, I think, cheap writing. They, yeah. Somebody had to mess up, so it's going to that, be her. That is what frustrates me about the Kate character, as I've mentioned. It's just that she's like the convenient scapegoat that right. I mean, messes everything my up. My only fear is that there, she's going to be the scapegoat for everything. I mean, like uh-huh. the big whatever that's coming, the war that's coming, the incident that's coming. It better not be Kate, you know, tripping over and knocking over a vial in the laboratory or something like that. And speaking of frustrating characters, what's going on with Jack? Yeah, he's I mean, just acting so strange. Well, I mean, he's doing the same thing that he's done, which is he's very low key. He's shuffling around. He's looking at the ground. He's sort of just delivering information and wandering off. And it's frustrating, but they're so deliberate about it, like last time, that clearly they're setting him up for something. Mm-hmm. It's just that I, I think I'm getting a little bit too much of that. A little, okay, we get the point. He's at peace. He's finally giving out information instead of holding it to himself. Can we just sort of move it on a little? Can he start waking up? Because that specific scene where he's been clearly hanging out in Juliet with Juliet in Sawyer's house at night uh-huh. for a while, but, you know, clearly just drinking coffee and um, Sawyer comes back, he gives him his information and then just sort of moseys on off. And you're, you're really scratching your head like, what the heck was that all about? Uh-huh. I mean, yes, they're setting him up for something, but the suspense is no longer there. It's just frustration. You know, it's just yeah. too much, a little too passive for his character. So you think that Kate going up to Roger was the first domino knocked over in a serious chain of events that's going to cause catastrophe. Right, absolutely. And specifically in Juliet's line, like, well, here we go. Like, you know, she she's already been kind of fearing this moment right down to when they first show up, when Kate and Jack first show up. She's like, well, it's all over, isn't it? You know, us playing house. Well, I, I think love she the really, way she delivered that line. Right. Here we go. I think she really believes that this is the beginning of the end. And uh, that's I, I, I believe that, too. So for a while, I'm thinking in my head, wow, isn't it neat that X, Y and Z with the Dharma initiative is clearly going to go bad, like people are dying at the swan, and so that's not going well. And at the same time, um, people are going to begin to suspect Kate and Jack and all of our friends, and these two things are happening at the same time. Now that I think about it, those are probably the same thing. Yeah. That, you know, again, it's just this uh, orchestrated concert of catastrophe that's on its way. So one thing that I noticed, and I don't know if, if everybody caught this, because I read it in the closed captioning, but I didn't hear anybody actually say it. Right, right. They made a reference to Jimmy Hoffa, Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting Did the, he, he's taking him out taking the body out of the van uh-huh. one of the one of the faceless you know workers and says what has he got in here jimmy hoffa and i thought that was an inter- again you know this episode was full of pop culture references but was jimmy hoffa dead in 1977 he disappeared in 1975 and has never ever been located okay so it was before when this time period happens but yes. were people already joking about him being a body somewhere or missing yeah something? yeah they were because i mean he was a teamster and there were all there were already allegations of some untoward things happening so um people were saying pretty much when he disappeared that something really bad had happened okay okay well so yeah i mean that was a cool pop culture and it was interesting because you're right it wasn't audible i didn't hear it i had to go back like really that's what it said um there are lots of stuff to notice though i mean they had uh, the book that marvin candle was reading to me Little and Miles. my polar bear i i looked that book up i can't find it but someone's gotta write <laughs> me and my polar bear i mean seriously a children's book with a lost tie i'd buy that i would That'd too be fantastic of course uh, there was a rabbit the the little statue under under which young Miles finds the key. So mm-hmm. we've got rabbits already, and uh, we've got we've got a lot of uh, numbers in this episode as well. Well, the first shot 
in the whole episode is of a clock that says 316. Yes, I mean, that's not exactly subtle. In fact, I think that, I mean, that's like the opening scene of the season, which was 815. Right. Although you're asking yourself, why does Dr. Chang sleep in so late? But in any case, <laughs> you also had, of course, 1.6 or $16 million or mm-hmm. 3.2 or $32 million. I thought that was great. Apartment 4, which is where the body is found by Young Miles. Right. Um, the, the curious number for me was that they made a point of showing that sick and dying Mrs. Uh, former Mrs. Candle or Chang uh-huh. uh, is in apartment seven. And you know that's not really one of our numbers. But very early on in that scene where he calls out, where he calls out and she comes running, she actually comes running down the hallway past apartment 104. So it's not it's oh, not even a single yeah. digit. For whatever reason, it might just be a prop error or the actual number on the building they were using. Uh-huh. But I'd like to think when I saw that 104 that the first apartment they moved into was... 108. Yeah, I think that would be absolutely fantastic. The 77 thing, and I just, I noticed this when I was watching a rerun mm-hmm. from season two, Everybody Hates Hugo. Johnny is wearing a shirt from the Led Zeppelin 1977 tour. Hmm. Uh, Johnny thought, is Hurley's friend. Right. And so, this, and of course, 77 was the number of the episode title. A- Enter, Enter 77, 77 when Locke blows yeah. up the uh, flame, I think, uh-huh. the communication station. And of course, that all ties to the year where all of this is yeah. happening. Up, so. I just think that's great. That is great. Again, you know, you don't know. You really, uh, frankly, you just want to believe that all of this stuff has always been on a notepad somewhere. And they're just really paying this stuff off because I definitely love those ties. Did you notice what was written on the blackboard behind Jack in the classroom? They were studying Egyptian. Yep. I mean, that's uh, key to this. Uh, so we, actually, that's true. Uh, last week or a week before, we were asking, do the Dharma Initiative have any knowledge of the temple or the Egyptian elements here on the island? You know, why is the why are there hieroglyphics in the countdown timer in the swan? And this is like... This is confirmation. Yeah. They are aware of Egyptian elements or Egyptian archaeology. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I didn't really break it down. Someone did post on our blog that it was basically a study of the hieroglyphic alphabet over time and how it evolved. So uh, that's kind of cool. Oh, very yeah. interesting. Good stuff. So uh, anything else you caught? Uh, any favorite? lines in this episode you're just jealous because my power is better than yours well yes definitely i mean just as far as the superhero super superpower discussion goes that was a winner and it's hard to pick i mean this was just chock full of them and hurley got to deliver most of them i mean again the polar bear poop conversation i thought was brilliant i'd have to go with uh his breakdown of why the story of darth and luke was pivotal and important and that's because Everything, all of this could have been avoided if they, if had they just only communicated. communicated. Yes. Exactly. And again, people throw that uh, criticism against Lost, but frankly, that is the fundamental basis of any dramatic story. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite websites was uh, they broke down plots of movies and said that, you know, it, the, all of these movies could be five minutes long if somebody just talked to someone else. So I think uh-huh. that's, but I just thought that was a, a brilliant line for him. We had a lot of music in this episode as well. Yes. And I am very, very ashamed to admit that a lot of it is on my iPod. I you have very eclectic taste, but also kind of older taste. But in any case, we had uh, Captain T- T- uh, Captain and Tennille with a "Love Will Keep Us Together," which is uh, almost impossible not to enjoy, I guess, when you hear it. And a song called "It Never Rains in Southern California" by Albert Hammond. And this song is actually a little bit hard to find. It's mm-hmm. not really a song that you hear every day, right? I, th- I mean, and that's good. I mean, I, I'm one of my fears when Lost went back into the '70s was that they were going to go out of their way to say, "Hey." We're in the 70s. You know, they get uh-huh. a little too obvious about it. And when they got down, oh, for example, this, this was it Sports Illustrated or one of the magazines that Miles was reading. And if you go into uh, Lostpedia or on the web, they they say, yes, that's an actual magazine from 1977. So, again, 
when they kind of go out of their way to go, hey, we're in 1977, I actually, that kind of takes me out of the moment. So mm-hmm. I'm glad when they pick an obscure song because it, it kind of offsets the, the easy pick, like Love Will Keep Us Together. Um, but the, as far as music, there was uh, Miles, you know, did you name your, because of Miles's name, did, did you like Miles Davis? Uh-huh. And it's not, nope, it's my wife, I like country. I wouldn't have pegged him for a country fan, but no, maybe that, not. that does explain the record that was playing in his place. Right, at the very beginning of the first, first song of season five, uh-huh. Shotgun Willie by Willie Nelson. I guess that was, in fact, his record collection. So, <laughs> very cool. And uh, what else? Well, finally, of course, we should cover briefly the locations used in this episode. They filmed a lot of this, Miles's backstory, basically, all right around Pearl Kai Shopping Center mm-hmm. in IAEA. So, the low-rise apartments is there. I think it's called the Harbor Arms. It's actually the scary uh, hotel to stay in here. That is not a place you want to be after dark. Yeah, it's actually the cheapest, you know, accommodations you're going to find on Travelocity or whatever. But there's a reason why. So <laughs> if you're don't stay at the Harbor Arms unless you really like staying where Lost is filmed. But even that taco stand where he stopped to get the fish taco and gets kidnapped, you can actually eat at that fish taco stand. It's actually there. So rather than staying at that <laughs> that apartment or that hotel, you should just get a taco there. He can. He can talk to the dead, and he likes tacos, too. Mm. Just like Dave. Hey, yeah, that's right. Not just the tacos, baby. <laughs> oh, another nice connection there. Well, that's our two cents on Some Like It Hot. When we come back, we'll hear from you all, everybody. Hey, Ryan, Jim, what's up? It's John from North Carolina. Um, yeah, we had a pretty good episode this week. Um, I'm glad we got Miles' story. It wasn't the strongest of the season, but, I mean, it was a pretty good character episode. It felt like season two. And it was just like, well, if we didn't get his story, people would keep asking for it. And, you know, it was a pretty good episode. I love the Hurley side of it. I mean, Hurley was just hilarious at every corner. I don't know what's up with this Brom guy. I don't know if he's... Well, he's not with Widmore. I don't think he's a Ben guy. So I read on your thing that you think it might be the new Dharma initiative. That might be cool if they're bringing the alternate reality thing into this. And that will be neat to see. But there's definitely something going on, and I definitely want to know what the heck is in the shadow of the statue. But um, anyway, pretty good episode. Um, nothing much to talk about, and it was just all right episode. But can't wait to hear what y'all think to say about it. So. We kick things off once again with our old friend John from North Carolina, and uh, he didn't think it was the strongest episode, but he enjoyed it quite a bit. Clearly not a holy freaking crap episode. No, I would say, I would agree. It's not quite that, but it was very enjoyable. Hurley was great, and it was a good Miles story. So now we have calls from Mr. Jacob, Matt, and Jessica. Aloha, Jen and Ryan. Just switching it up a bit. Uh, This is Mr. Jacob from the mainland calling to report on Some Lake and Hot. Once again, I love this episode. Without having the full picture yet, my only real critique of Season 5 up to this point had been, uh, why is Miles slowly drifting to the background to an almost, you know, sub-Rose and Bernard level? You know, is Miles' shirt slowly reddening? Uh, but this episode was an amazing recovery. I, I liken it to an Eminem, a uh, light and sweet shell of witty dialogue, irreverence, and self-reference on the outside. But inside lies a solid chunk of pure chocolatey story and mythology. Uh, two things I noticed. Um... Did you see a strange zen-like thing going on with Jack? He he almost had like a season one lock kind of aura going on, um, you know, lurking in the background, but, uh, you know, saying and doing what he needs to and when he needs to. He's working on something, and I can't wait to find out what it is. Uh, second thing, Bram said, my friend, a.k.a. we haven't seen the last of Caesar, at least not from flashbacks. 
All right, guys. Uh, just like Lost Itself, thank you for this podcast and for giving me something great and thought-provoking to look forward to every week. Take care. Ryan and Jen, uh, this is Matt from Ohio. Theory for you. Um, if this third faction is the new Dharma, would it be possible that what lies in the shadow of the statue is the Dharma mass grave that Ben did? Just a thought. If this is a revenge mission, maybe that's their main focus. Love the podcast. Hey, guys. This is Jessica in Birmingham. I really um, loved this episode. Um, I could tell that I really loved this episode because, in retrospect, I was actually sitting nine months pregnant, perched on top of my coffee table watching it, just cracking up, being tense, cracking up, being tense. It was fun. We had. I, I really enjoyed it. I loved the banter between Miles and Hurley, and also I loved the creative death by electromagnetism via the tooth filling. I thought that was great. Um, my theory for this one is anytime that Lost tries to make me believe that somebody's dead um, without actually giving me too much proof, I tend to get really skeptical. So I believe the third party in the um, Widmore Ben. Um, competition for the island. The third party, I believe, is going to be Pierre Chang and that Brom and Ileana are working for Pierre Chang. Um, and also, I'm really, I keep getting drawn back to that video that we saw um, from Comic-Con this past year with PS, with them, Pierre Chang. Can't wait to listen to the podcast. Uh, y'all have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for those calls. So Mr. Jacob worried, like we were, I think, that they were just going to waste Miles' character, but they really paid it off this week. I want some chocolate. Chocolate. Chocolate is what you took away from his call. Well, that was an important, I like that was a very colorful detail. Um, he's, I guess, not as frustrated with Jack. He's, he sees some lockness in Jack. Someone's observed that previously as well. I see it too, and I can kind of see where Jack is coming from, but I would like to see him kick somebody. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all waiting for that. And I hadn't noticed that uh, Bram says, my friend, the same way that Caesar does. So I hadn't noticed cool. that either. That's But cool. does that mean that Caesar is still going to be a factor in this show? I really think he's dead i don't think there's any way he could have survived that gunshot but like mr jacob said he could probably come back in a flashback yeah i mean if he's not dead then that's really <laughs> i mean how many times can we see that and yeah. not believe that it's happened uh matt um kind of just sort of carrying on the mention that it could be the new dharma initiative and uh, he says that that would make sense if it's for revenge for the purge and that the, the thing that lies in the shadow of the statue is the grave god i love that it could be anything but that why not that I love that. I, I, I've read online a theory about the statue is not even a statue on the island. That, in fact, what they're going to be talking about is a statue on the Ann Arbor campus. Hmm. So now I'm like, oh, I now got to go find a nice virtual tour of the Ann Arbor campus, <laughs> see what statues they have there. But I, I, I probably think Matt's idea makes a little more sense. And finally, Jessica in Birmingham says that she thinks that if it's not Ben, if it's not Widmore, then it's the not dead Pierre Chang. What do you think? Well, I don't think he's dead, so I don't see why not. I, I think he's dead. I really think, I don't think he survives. I think that it might be people acting on behalf of his agency, on behalf of the Dharma Initiative and what he represented, but 
I don't think it's him, but she does make a good point. We we have to see someone hacked to pieces at this point to believe that they're dead. Yeah, so, exactly. And if, you know, Miles's mom says she's dead, Miles's mom also said that, you know, he left. And now we don't believe that to be the case. So if she lied about one thing, then why not lie about both? She just might not know his whereabouts. I mean, as far as she can, she's concerned, he could be dead. Yes, that's true. I mean, what one character doesn't know about another could probably fill a book just the same size as the scripts for Lost. Now we've got calls from Evan. Ace and Amber. Ryan and Jen, what's up? It's Evan from the mainland again. Um, so just calling with a quick theory. Maybe you guys think the same as well. Haven't had time to read the blog yet to get your first thoughts. But um, I think that the reason that Pierre Chang sent his wife and Miles away was to protect them from the purge or the incident because there's a new YouTube video where Pierre Chang is pretty much telling whoever's watching the video that they're going to die and to help save them, and it sounds like Daniel's in the background. So um, I guess that's what's going to happen. They're going to try to convince Pierre that this thing's going to happen where they're all going to die and that you need to protect yourself somehow and that, in fact, they're going to try to tra- change the uh, the future. Can't wait for the podcast. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Janice. This is Ace from Jacksonville. And I uh, had a couple of uh, thoughts on tonight's episode, Some Like It Hoth. Uh, what if Miles is actually causes his own exile from the island, therefore, you know, creating his own daddy issues, which just seem to come up every single episode. Um, you know, sort of he does it on purpose, maybe even sort of a stay away from the bunny or keep the miles away from each other. Um, another thing, Juliet knows a lot more that, about what's going on. That whole here we go sort of attitude was all right well it's starting i know what's going to happen next kind of deal she's in the know i think a little bit um i kind of like kirby's reference to darth vader and the i am your father and losing his hand and his arm sort of like pierre chang in the future losing his arm and uh also like the fact that hurley thinks ewoks uh suck thanks love the podcast Hey, Ryan and Jen, it's Amber from Utah. Um, I just barely finished watching the latest episode. Um, I I totally agree with whoever it was that said um, the incident is going to be when somebody runs into their past or future self or something, just like the rabbits, because now we have baby Miles on the island. <laughs> Who knew? We're talking about Lost being Atlantis and how Plato said that it disappeared into the sea, and everyone believes that it sunk. Well, when you watch the bit where Locke, I mean Ben, moves the island for the first time, and all you see is the purple flash, and then it goes, and it shows the island being gone, all you see is these two ripples, and it looks like something has sunk into the sea. If that's all that Plato saw, it would be natural for him to come to that conclusion. So I really think, I mean, that's, evidence to support that theory. I don't know how I feel about the Atlantis theory, but it works. So anyway, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, and I'll stop calling you now. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. So Evan, just like uh, I believe Jessica mentioning, again, that Comic-Con video, that's the 2008 Mm Comic-Con video where he's sending a message to the future that we're all about to die and you need to reconstitute the Dharma Initiative. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so it makes sense that if we're going to follow whatever happened, happened, that Miles uh, gets sent off the island because uh, Dr. Chang is trying to get them off. But Mm -hmm. as we discussed when we discussed the episode, I I even like it better if Miles is the person who tells him this is coming. Uh And so, I mean, again, everyone creating their own destiny. That's 
sort of the same thought that Ace is saying as well. What if Miles causes that own setup and creates the daddy issues that he's got? And actually, we've discovered that's happened for some of our characters now. They're responsible right. for their own daddy issues. But do you think when Juliet said that wonderful line, here we go, that she actually knows more than she's letting on? That she actually has a clear understanding of the history of the descent into madness that happens in the Dharma Initiative, and now she knows this is where it happened? Well, she might know, know it third hand. I mean, she might have um, she might have been taught just the history of Dharma and, and everything about it just, you know, from working there. Right. I mean, I'm wondering if there was like sort of a brief orientation and, you know, the once upon a time, this young boy disappeared, et cetera, et cetera. But I think if that were in her consciousness, then maybe she would not have participated so willingly in his uh, being oh, taken or at true. least had said something about that. I, uh, but, you know, again, uh, I like anything that gives Juliet the opportunity to actually be kind of sneaky because I think she's a brilliant actress. And, she is a great actress. And for actress. her to be bad. I mean, people are still suspicious of her being the double, double, double agent for Ben when she ended up with uh, Jack and friends. So right. why not? Why not? I can definitely see that. And I like what Ace said about Mar- Marvin Candle losing his arm. I said that, you know, maybe that's what happens in The Purge. But he goes, come on, Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Luke loses his hand. So very good tie. And finally, Amber from Utah saying that uh, the incident, like we do, is that you run into yourself and that's what causes all heck to break loose in the universe. Yeah, except now I'm still trying to figure out who exactly it is that runs into himself. I mean, it could be it could be Miles because it seems where that's going, but really it could be anybody at this well, point. Well, how many people are running around on the island with a younger self? I mean, I, it can't be Ben unless Ben comes back to 1977. True. So at this point i think that the only person there's two of in 1977 is miles and so that's the only person that this situation yeah. can come okay up with. you're right it, it it is important to note by the way that this is a separate comic-con video this is the 2007 right. comic-con video so if you're coming late to the show or the podcast um there's a lot of references in these theories to stuff that has not aired on the program so right. the 2007 video was two bunnies that appear in the same room that are the same bunny and dr chang says or whoever says to keep them apart so that's what these are in reference to. And the 2008 is the message to the future. Mm-hmm. Got that? Yes. All right. And finally, Amber did note that if Plato saw what we saw on TV, he'd think that Atlantis had sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Fair enough. Now we have calls from Anthony, Aaron, and Scott. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Anthony from Philly calling once again. Um, I have a theory about parody. I think that while he was at Ann Arbor, he did some electromagnetic research and some research, research on the swan. And what the song's all about, and I think that he knows how to cause the incident, and he's and he's going to use that to send the lawsuit back to the future, back to the future, well, back to the present that we know of, so they they get reunited with with Locke and all that. So I think the incident's going to be the key, the key that sends them all back to the future, and Faraday's going to be the key to causing the incident. That's my theory. Have a good one, guys. Hello, this is Aaron from Washington, D.C. I have something that I just want to throw out there about the swan. Um, Okay, it's being built in an area that's supposedly off-limits to the Dharma Initiative. So it is. It's a place. They have to be secret about it. So this means that the others, or Widmore, the guy who's in charge of the others right now, doesn't know that they're doing this. Um, My questions are, what does that mean for Jacob? Does this mean that Jacob and or the island is being fooled as well? Let's say that Jacob doesn't know that this stuff is going on. Does this mean that there's sort of a limit to his power, a limit to his knowledge about what goes down on his island? Uh, and what are the stipulations of that? 
Now, let's say that he does know that this is going on. He's just choosing not to tell Whitmore. Or does that mean that he's allowing this to happen, that he wants it to happen? Does, he, does this mean that Jacob wants or approves of the hatch being built, the hatch that we know is responsible for crashing and bringing the 815ers to the island? Uh, chew on that for a little bit. I know I have been. That is all, so adios. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Scott from Nashville here. Uh, I thought this was a great episode filled with a lot of nerdy stuff and Dharma mythology. Some great uh, lines from Hurley and uh, Miles. Uh, perhaps the best little exchange was Hurley saying, Dude, that guy's a total douche. And then Miles says, That douche is my dad. I thought that was particularly funny. Um it's an interesting scene in the restaurant when Miles is listening to the uh, dead body on the table, and he talks about uh, Felix was on his way to show Widmore some pictures of empty graves and a purchase order for an old airplane. Uh, it's good information, but still doesn't quite solve the mystery. I'm not sure whether... Uh, that means Widmore stays the crash, or if Felix was showing Widmore evidence that Ben staged the crash. So uh, I thought we were getting some some really juicy information, but then when I watched it a second time, I wasn't really convinced that it was Widmore who staged the crash, judging by how they, uh, well, by the words that Miles used when he was describing what the man was doing. So that uh, probably deserves some more. Uh, discussion. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for those calls. So Anthony says that Faraday caused the incident. I guess that's a reasonable theory as well. Well, he has been close to the donkey wheel. Mm-hmm. He's been rubbing shoulders with the big wigs over in Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. He knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, and uh, he may want to try to send everyone back. He might try to fix things and send him and his friends back to the present or the future. And his attempt to do so could be the incident. So do you think he's so driven by grief for Charlotte that he does this? Well, I mean, one of the most interesting things about his character is that he asserts and everyone believes to some extent that whatever happens, happens and you can't change it. But he is also the only character we've seen so far attempt to, well, no, Saeed definitely tried to change things. But he genuinely changed things by planting that message in Desmond's um, Desmond's head. head. So does Miles believe what he's saying or not? And if not, he seems very driven to fix things or change things. And so that might very well be what happens. He starts to meddle with stuff. Um, As far as Aaron, he makes a good point that uh, the swan is in others' territory. So what's going on? We also know that we've got uh, Widmore, the horse rider, and, uh, you know, Alpert and uh, Jacob being referenced. Do they know that this swan is coming together or not? Well, we discussed this before a little bit. And then I was of the opinion that they didn't at first, but they had to have known about it in order for Ben to have known about it. Right. At a certain point, Point, they became aware of the swan because we see Ben take Juliet to the Pearl to watch Jack in right. the hatch. So that level of awareness was clear, but uh, I was originally of the opinion that they did not know that that the story is a little simpler if the existence of the swan was unknown to the others or to the island natives, right mm-hmm. down to, you know... Uh, the fact that the pallet was still dropping and even the Dharma initiative might have thought that the swan was still in operation and the people in the swan may not have even been aware for some period of time that something had happened, that the purge had even happened. It seemed to be that's what they were implying. Now I'm not so sure. On one hand, the existence of the swan is clearly significant to the Dharma initiative, but they also say in this episode that this station is secret. Like, Despite the fact that they've got construction crew and Uh stuff all over it, it's in a forbidden section and that, uh, you know, 
know, uh, Dr. Candle says you're not supposed to know anything about it. So right. uh, still the I think still the jury is out, but uh, it would see it would call into question whether or not the all knowing Jacob knows everything. Do you think that Jacob is supernatural? And if so, he would have to know about it. Do you think? He's yeah, I think he is supernatural. And I think him being supernatural would mean that, yeah, he knows pretty much everything. All right. And Scott from Nashville, uh, like the episode, great lines, definitely, but pointing out, as we had mentioned in our section of the show, that we cannot immediately presume that the dead uh, Felix means that Widmore was not responsible for the wreckage on the bottom of the ocean, because uh, Felix might have been carrying the file to blackmail Widmore and get killed. That's and true. it kind of goes to uh, Wes in Austin, who sent us an email with some screen caps, because he believes that, uh, that Felix, uh, the dead person on the table, is the same person that we saw were that Tom when Tom shows Michael a video cassette oh, yeah. of uh, Widmore killing somebody and if that's the case Widmore killing Felix then Felix may or may not have been on Widmore's team of course it's also likely that Widmore would kill anybody who had information for him that he didn't want to get out there but in any case I think the yeah. basic conclusion is the jury is still out on who's behind the wreckage at yeah. the bottom of the ocean next calls are from RJ Dan and Steve Hey, my name is RJ. I'm from Rhode Island. I just had a little food for thought from last week's episode of Lost, or this week. But I noticed when Miles tells Hurley, he says that he can't have conversations with the ghost. He specifically says that. But it seems to be contradicting when he says that because in a previous episode, I remember Miles goes into um, a house and he has a conversation with the ghost. He says, well, where's the money? And the ghost, and then he gets the money and he leaves. So I would consider that a conversation, but not really important. Just something to think about that I thought was ironic. Not important yet, at least. Thanks. Keep up the podcast. See ya. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is uh, Dan from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, just given a call to say that after watching uh, last night's episode uh, of Lost, I got to say that. Hurley and Miles are great together. And I got to say that for, you know, the recap episode that they have before the series finale that'll be next year, they need to get Miles and Hurley on the island just talking about everything that's happened to them so far in their own way. I think that would just be killer and that'd be a great recap episode just having them talk about everything that's happened to them in chronological order. And just with their point of view of it, you would get Hurley's jokes and Miles' sarcasm. It would be fantastic. Or at least that's what I thought anyway. So long, guys. Uh, great podcast. Listen all the time. And uh, aloha. Hey, Steve Phoenix. Long time. Anyway, quick thought. I was just driving to work, listening to your most recent podcast. And uh, my theory is uh, maybe the reason that they're unable to have children is that the Dharma has poisoned the island in order to purge the others to get them off the island. Obviously, if they can't reproduce, well, you can't have kids. You can't grow. So uh, maybe Dharma left after the purge, or maybe he was the cause of it and uh, was planned to come back. Maybe that's what we're going to be seeing coming up here also. Let's say, is Dharma coming back? The others. Anyway, just a thought. That's great. Thanks for those calls. So, RJ, getting a little specific, uh, what do you think? Is did Does Miles have conversations with the dead or not? No, that's a, that's a good point. Um, un- unless 
he, this grandson was thinking about the money when he died. I suppose that could work, but it, it seemed that he was very clear in how he explained it. Obviously, when he kneels next to a body and says, okay, what really happened, he's just as much talking to himself as he is to the body. Right. But it really seemed that when he went up to that bedroom that he was sort of pe- looking for a specific memory. He wasn't, he, it wasn't just a feeling. He wasn't just sensing what someone knew um, at the time of death, unless you, what you're saying is true. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe he was just... Maybe he was just jealous that Hurley's power was better than his (laughs) dad from Pennsylvania kind of pointing out that, uh, you know, he thinks that they should do the recap clip show with Miles and Hurley. That would be great. That's a a little meta, but absolutely perfect. That's that's exactly the way they should do it. I can see it in my head. Let's send it in to Dalton. Yeah, send it in to them because uh, clearly, honestly, Jorge Garcia and uh, Ken Ken Leung would do a much better job than pretty much all of the clip shows ABC has given us. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Finally, Steve in Phoenix uh, going with the simple solution here. The reason why you can't have babies on the island is because the Dharma Initiative did something seriously bad with poison and just made that fertility problem that's a heck of a lot of poison though i guess but i mean you know people are saying that you can't have babies because uh because of the time difference between the real world and the island and so th- something happens in the womb that yeah. was presented and and recently now people are saying that the whole thing the, the, what screwed it up for babies was the fact that ethan was born when ethan was not supposed to be born mm-hmm. and th- so this is much more simple and what what clicked in my head is last week when Widmore says you should have exterminated them. And someone Mm -hmm. did observe that sounds a little harsh or that sounds like the way someone talks about vermin in their house, you know, rats or bugs. And if that's what they do, like they just basically go out there and uh, strafe them with chemicals, that could be a possibility. And um, then you have the hostiles, the others um, really manic and trying to continue their, you know, their line. And that's why they steal babies. That's why they're obsessed with fertility. And specifically, I like the idea that maybe they spend some time off the island for several years and now they're coming back um, recharged and ready to go yeah so good thoughts well that's all the voicemails we're going to share this week but we got many many more and of course we listen to and write out every single one so we can really appreciate your genius we definitely want to thank steve Fries from uh, las vegas a uh, great call from pete from rockford illinois he pointed out that uh, tanya raymond the, the actress who plays alex yeah she was recently on bones so, i've heard that so check it out if you want to see more of alex uh, or the actress i certainly i'd, I'd really like to see more of her on lost yeah but i guess you get your fix how you can actually pete also asked how to pronounce our last name because it's true we've heard it's a, it's a pretty interesting interpretations we don't say it on our show but it's ozawa, ozawa. like uh, yeah like seiji ozawa the the conductor in boston but yeah. no relation you no know relation. Uh, not much that not really that much talent in our bloodline <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we also got a lot of anonymous calls. Um, we'd like to remind you it. We love to know uh, where you're from, at least, but certainly who you are. If you don't want to say your name, just make up one. Say you're Geronimo Jackson, but <laughs> definitely tell us where you're from. So let's get on to the blogs and emails. Jeff and Cape Coral writes: Loved last night's episode. Damon and Carlton mentioned in their podcast last week that this was a good place for some levity before an intense final four hours of the season. I thought they accomplished that goal, but still managed to move the storyline forward i love the faraday miles encounter at the end of the episode when we last saw faraday with sawyer juliet at all in 1974 he looked lost as he had so much of his storyline when he emerged from the sub however he was oozing with confidence i was easily tantalized by what events over the three-year span brought about that change in daniel and by how much of that story we'll learn yeah i mean he's been missing we've been waiting for him and the last time we saw him he was pretty broken yeah. and now he's like do 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 i'm here dude you know good to see a long time no see 
He's going to save the day. I guess. Knives Monroe writes on the blog, At the risk of sounding uber emotional, it's my embarrassing yet embracing admission to say that I really related to Ken Lung's character, Miles. I will not lie. This is the first moment in season five that made me cry. I am a man, I can admit it. Truthfully, seeing Pierre Chang holding baby Miles with Miles tearing up in the background is such an amazing image. Only Lost can make that happen. Amen. Yeah, good, good acting. Tim writes, how weird that an episode with the content of Dead is Dead left me empty, yet an episode with a Star Wars reference in the title felt so alive. Didn't care much for the Star Wars references, but I loved watching this episode. I've always thought that I get more out of Lost's grand story than anything else in the show, but this season has taught me one thing. I only like the mythology insofar as it relates to the characters and how it makes the characters relate to one another. There have been a few episodes this season that have ticked all the boxes we were pining for in the early seasons but have been utterly uninteresting. I don't care what the smoke monster is made out of or who made it. I just want to know how it's judging its victims. I don't care that certain characters are special. I just care what they will end up thinking and believing about the island and each other. Anyone watching Lost solely for answers to the big questions of the show is going to be very disappointed at the end, I think. And I guess to that, um, amen. I mean, you know, again, we love all of the mysteries, but if, you, if you've if you got that checklist, they're going to miss probably a hundred boxes at the end of season yeah, five. Yeah, probably. Six. So if you're waiting for that, I, 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 I'd worry for you because the mysteries are great, the explanations are great, but uh, the characters are really what make it and how they're depicted are, make, are, are made it. And we might be in the minority for not liking Dead is Dead and liking this episode better, but it's because of the depth of those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alias posts on our blog I like Hurley and Miles They are funny and a joy to watch But I have my problems with pacing and development of the overall story This story did not have anything really to do with last week's episode In terms of story flow It kind of feels like every week we are watching a different, separate story Linked by trivial, secondary stories I mean, consider that Ben, Locke, Jin, Sun, Saeed, and yes, Rose and Bernard Do not even appear in this episode at all It's impossible to keep up the flow of the story this way These characters are the story and they are rarely together And now they are only seen every other episode or so what do you think yeah i get i get what he's saying um the the real reason i really dug this episode was because it it was a much needed humor break right i mean it's 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 an expose it's a it's a trisha tanaka is dead it's a it's a it's a lighter moment and it still gave you some some movement the the other thing though that he said was that you know we're seeing these self contained episodes and it's moving more like a, a serial rather than a series and actually i think we should be used to that that was season one that mm-hmm. was we're going to explore kate then we're going to explore jack then we're going to explore Sarah. And maybe that form doesn't work anymore or maybe we're tired of it because now we just really want to move forward i definitely agree that there wasn't much forward motion this episode but i gotta say i'm nostalgic for the flashbacks i'm nostalgic for those character explanations so this episode worked for me quite a bit i really want to see desmond again though mm, i definitely agree rich in cleveland writes on the blog i am of the school that contends that each detail is deliberate and invested with some meaning. Yes, it is amusing to imagine Hurley's character deciding to write the sequel to Star Wars, but what is the subtext to this comic relief, especially in light of the abduction scene with Bram, The Empire Strikes Back? I have no idea who these latest others are, but I felt a palpable fear for our treasured island from this unknown force that has never claimed to serve the island, only to be the winning side. Now we have some indication of what Miles meant in Season 4 when he warned Saeed about random transmissions from the sat phone. It can hurt. 
it can hurt a lot. Right. I mean, we touched on a number of the ways that The Empire Strikes Back was not just a fun plot point, but it has a lot of ties, whether it's the daddy issues, whether it's the uh, dismemberment issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's pointing out that it could be The Empire Striking Back. And uh, this really does feel like a hint that it's the returning Dharma initiative coming back to reclaim everything. And he mentions that specific scene. Yeah. um, Saeed was like, I'm going to play with the sad phone. What's the problem? Who cares if it lets out a little bit of transmission? And Miles says that it could hurt. And now we know Miles has had specific contact prior to getting on the freighter with somebody who wanted to stop him. Right. So he knows clearly that there's another power, another interest interested in the island. So he would know that sending out a signal could probably be a bad idea. I definitely like that a lot. Uh, Cute Blue writes on the blog, It's now apparent that, despite fan speculation, Charlotte's body did not disappear during the last flash in 1977 because she already existed there as a young girl. With Miles seeing his baby self, the writers have now blatantly told us what they hinted at when Locke traveled back, skipping to see the light in the sky from the night he was banging on the hatch. Two different versions of the same person can exist in the same time space. The question, of course, remains, what happens if we don't heed Pierre Chang's video blooper warning and the different versions interact or touch? So, yes, I mean, again, seeing the confirmation here, being in the same area doesn't cause the universe to implode, but we don't know what happens if the bunnies come into contact with each other. Joshua from Sacramento writes, Miles will interact with baby Miles. This will be the incident the interaction will create a feedback loop in time as miles will be crossing his own timeline will have at least one of two possible effects perhaps both one the island's timeline will contract in response bringing the past forward and the future our present back thus all our losties will be reunited at least for a while then when the compensating measures of the swan hatch or perhaps some other stopgap measure goes into effect time will right itself and our losties will be pulled apart some even being pulled into the island's past, others to the present, or maybe even the future. How cool would that be? Two, more likely, baby Miles, due to the interaction with his own future self, gains an awareness of other people's timelines. This manifests itself as an apparent ability to listen to dead people, but really he's just aware of their past. I think both his parents know full well that this is what happened and why. So I definitely like that second possibility that, you know, if he really comes into contact with himself, something significant happens, but that significant thing is that suddenly he becomes clairvoyant or has this ability to to deal with people because he can look both ways on a timeline that supposedly ends. God, that is so great. I really like it. But, you know, maybe it also is going to mess with time. And one of the things that they've described when the frozen donkey wheel was turned and, you know, it gets knocked off its axis and there was this oscillation back and forth, back and forth. Right. That's it kind of wobbling and then coming back into focus. So that could still be what happens with the incident or with this contact. And so there will still be more moving around through time. I'm not sure... If as a casual viewer, I could take much more of that same thing happening over again. So Mm -hmm. I think the second explanation is more interesting to me. Matt in Buffalo emails and says, I think that Ilana and her team are definitely working for Ben or at least are on Ben's team. After Miles gets kidnapped for working for the wrong team, I am fairly sure of it now. Two more pieces of evidence. I think Ben stole the gun and shot Caesar for the purpose of clearing the way for Ilana and company, since he had a gun and thought he was running the show. Plus, they were on Flight 316, which was information that Eloise Hawking had. I doubt that another group has found all that information out. I think they work with Ben, not for Ben, because in Ben's dealing with Eloise, he did not seem to be in control. He just seemed to be the one who had to find the ocean six and get them back he's not the one in charge of the whole outfit so what do you think ben and ilana are actually on the same side i I doubt it 
I, I, I kind of really doubt it at this point, just because we know that the reformed Dharma initiative is coming and we haven't seen them yet. That's well, how do we know just, that the reformed Dharma initiative is coming? And that's if you take the the Comic-Con video as gospel. Yeah. So I'm not sure if we would put too much money on that. But, you know, uh, I think so. I think he makes a good case that it could be Ben, at least in the sense that uh, even I doubted that Widmore was behind it because it seemed unlikely that Widmore would have someone on the plane that same day that Ben and them are mm-hmm. leaving on the plane. So in the same by the same argument, it seemed odd that they would know about this plane and that it's the plane crossing the spot that they had just determined is where the island is going to be. That seems unlikely as well. I just I still can't figure out how Hawking fits into all this. Well, I think actually Hawking for many people is the reason why they think the Dharma Initiative is who's coming back. Why? Because gee, she was in the Dharma Initiative. Yeah. Gee, she's hanging out in a still-functioning Dharma station off the island. So maybe she always was with the Dharma Initiative, and that's actually what's happening. But a good theory, Matt. Rebecca in Copenhagen writes, Naomi and her team arrive on the island in Season 4 with a mission from Widmore to capture Ben so that Widmore could return. I had always sort of viewed the battle for control of the island as a sandbox struggle between Ben and Widmore, but until now, I think I've been overlooking the third element in the mix, the Dharma loyalists who feel the turf belongs to them. Could these be the children of the DIers who were shipped off island to escape the purge and are returning to take back what's theirs? So again, you know, the Dharma Initiative could be this new third party, but I like when she mentioned that maybe, you know, our, our new friends, Ilana and Bram and uh, Caesar, mm-hmm. are, they're not Dharma Initiative directly, but they're descendants of the folks that are running around on right. the island. Now, actually, I think that'd be kind of cool. That, they, that would be kind of cool. So uh, I, it's definitely lining up to be the returning Dharma uh, initiative, at least for this podcast. Michael 281 writes, so the third faction, Bram was the guy in the truck who spoke to Miles. And now he's on the beach with Ilana on a mission. Very cool. I'm still not digging the secret password business, <laughs> but hopefully that'll make more sense in time. Are these Dharma people trying to make a return? Maybe. My wife's thinking that the third faction might be Eloise Hawking. That makes some sense. She was another important person who left the island, although we don't really know why she'd want to go back. She has an edge that she knows about the time travel business, and Ben and Whitmore don't seem to know as much. She also knows about Desmond. Well, again, I think Michael is sort of saying she's not, he's not sure if it's the Dharma Initiative, but he gives more evidence that it could be. One, again, Eloise Hawking was affiliated uh, or is in a Dharma Initiative station mm-hmm. in the present. And more importantly, the whole password business. The password business with the, what did one snowman say to another snowman was a Dharma test. Right. It was a test of Dharma to see if you're the next person. So it seems quite likely that if that's one of their shticks, if that's their gig, then that's what's still going on. John Fisher writes on the blog, I was thinking about the guys who kidnapped Miles. Pretty mild kidnappers, don't you think? Come with us and learn all you want to learn. Don't go on the freighter. Sorry, no money. Uh, okay, goodbye. Not exactly the way I would imagine that Widmore or Ben would handle the situation. They would not have dumped Miles off on the road. They would have dumped him in the river with cement boots. <laughs> I think that's a fair point. I mean, it's interesting that some clear power doesn't want Miles to get on the boat, but doesn't want that to not happen bad enough to kill him. Yeah. They're like, oh, I guess we couldn't talk you into it. See you later, dude. Yeah. So I think that's a fair, uh, again, that it's not Ben or Widmore behind those folks in the van or behind Caesar and uh, Ilana because they seem to be a little more ruthless. That. It's just a bunch of hippies. Could be. Well, actually, uh, if it was the hippies, that's the Dharma initiative. <laughs> Raul writes, I have a theory about the title and play on words in it. Since the actual theme seems to be Egyptian mythology, I looked for a Hoth reference and found 
Thoth. Thoth. Thoth was the son of the god Ra, and he was known for his ability to communicate with the dead. So like Thoth, Miles is the son of a high-ranking Dharma scientist deity and can speak to the dead. Very nice. And, yes. You know, we just talked about Ra or Richard Alpert and that whole uh, pharaoh business. So here you've got a Thoth who talks to dead people and the son of someone important. So, uh, you know, this Egyptian stuff is really climbing in prominence. We could be looking at what a, what is going to basically be a big metaphor or a big retelling of of an Egyptian story. Do you think they're going to try to build a pyramid somewhere in Honolulu? Oh boy. I don't know. I'd <laughs> like to see that set. In any case, uh, we got lots and lots of great feedback. Many calls, many comments on the blog, over 180 so far as and we record this. And it's only Friday. We're doing this one early. So we really appreciate all of your feedback. And after the next new episode of Lost, which is unfortunately going to be in two weeks, please definitely let us know what you thought. Comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Write us an email at lost at hawaiiup.com or call us on the lost line 808-356-0127. Now, by the way, a lot of you asked after I briefly mentioned Twitter last week that, hey, what are your Twitter accounts? So we'll mention those again in case you want to follow us. Just know that we don't Twitter about just lost. We actually Twitter about all kinds of things. And I Twitter about some really boring stuff. So. But if you're still interested, you can be our followers. You can join uh, now the Oprah you know, army and, and sign up for Twitter. And I'm on the service as Hawaii. Yes, uh, the name of the state. And your uh, Twitter handle? Kilinahe. It's spelled K-I-L-I-N-A-H-E. Or you just follow me and you'll see I Twitter at my way quite a bit yeah in any case that's it for you all everybody and that means it's time to move into the forward cabin this is where we hide production news rumors spoilers sightings and all kinds of stuff so if you don't want to know what's coming up you might want to skip ahead Welcome to the Forward Cabin, the forward-looking part of the transmission. Now, not only is this going to be a short segment this week, but it's also kind of a bummer. Next week, there will be a lost clip show titled The Story of the Oceanic Six. The ABC synopsis reads, What transpired for both the Oceanic Six and the remaining island survivors during the three years after the island was moved will be explored. So, that sounds interesting. Well, I mean, it's not... Uh, just about the Oceanic Six, which is a relief. and But the only way that that could be interesting to me, the only thing that I would find helpful is if maybe they put it all in the right chronological order that could sort things out. Or if it was me. hosted by Jorge Garcia and Ken yeah, Leung. Yeah, <laughs> Ken Leung, the two of them. That would, that would be awesome. But fortunately, it's just a one-week hiatus, and the following week, April 29th, will be the next new episode of Lost, and it's titled The Variable. It's also going to be the 100th episode of Lost. No so way! Congratulations to everybody. The ABC synopsis for that episode reads, The time of reckoning has begun when Daniel Faraday comes clean regarding what he knows about the island. Well, that pretty much sums up everything we want to see in that episode, I think. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So uh, we did see a little bit of clips in the, uh, the, the preview. So what did we see? Sawyer says, this is our home. Come with us, freckles. Miles says, any one of us can die. We see Jack, Kate, and Faraday at the Dharma motor pool fighting with Dharma folks in blue jumpsuits. They exchange gunfire and something explodes. <laughs> the announcer says, sides will be chosen. Some will run for cover. Some will stay and fight. 
Lost Explosive 100th episode in two weeks. In two weeks. That's the only bad news. Um, we can look a little further ahead since we're here about what follows that. Episode 15 uh, is uh, on May 6th, and the title of that episode is Follow the Leader. The ABC synopsis for that is... Jack and Kate find themselves at odds over the direction to take to save their fellow island survivors. Locke further solidifies his stance as leader of the others, and Sawyer and Juliet come under scrutiny from the Dharma Initiative. So, sounds like a lot's going to happen in that episode as Mm -hmm. well. More things falling apart. Uh, Locke clearly pones somebody. And uh, (laughs) finally, yes, uh, there's going to be big surprise dissension in the ranks as far as what to do next. And finally, episode 16 and 17, the season finale, The Incident, that will air on May 13th. And that's something we're all looking forward to and yet at the exact same time dreading Oh, I'm dreading dearly. it. Um, a lot of people have asked us what our plans are during the hiatus which follows. Well, I think like last year, what we're going to do is we're going to enjoy a brief vacation. But that brings us quickly to July when... Comic-Con yes. is happening. We plan on filing live reports from Comic-Con, and then we plan on diving into Season 3. Right. So there'll be a break before and after that, but uh, Comic-Con is fantastic. Uh, if you didn't like that, clearly you don't have to listen to it because we're not just going to cover Lost. We're going to cover our experience, the people that we right. meet. Um, but any audio that we can pick up, if there's a panel, if there's an interview, if there's anything Lost-related, certainly we're going to want to share that with you, so stay tuned. Um, and then, yeah, we, I think the the completion of season two went pretty well yes it did we're gonna take on season three so there you go even though the story for lost this season will end on the 13th it doesn't mean the end of the transmission and we'd love if you joined us for that ride so that's it for this uh, forward cabin segment and that means that's it for this episode of the transmission we will be back in two weeks for the next new episode that will be on april 29th and the episode will be called the variable Please enjoy the break. We certainly will. But don't forget us. The transmission is powered by you. So please, after you see that episode, let us know what you thought. Comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Send us an email to lost at hawaiiup.com or call the lost line at 808-356-0127. Remember, the transmission is available in both regular MP3 and enhanced AAC formats with chapter marks. You can skip around or even have better sound quality. You can check it out. Links on our blog or in the iTunes Music Store. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Stay lost. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.